you'll see the reason behind that uh, psalm as we look at our text today, which is from Jeremiah 11. Lord willing, when I'm back in a few weeks, it will not be Jeremiah, it will be something else, just to give you a break. But Jeremiah today, chapter 11, verses 18 through 23. This is the word of God. Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know it, that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have revealed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anatoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anatoth, even the year of their punishment. That is the word of our holy God. And may he bless it to our hearts today. This is when men want to kill the messenger of truth. Men want to kill the messenger of truth. Now, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's the biggest warning people give you when you gather for maybe a big Christmas dinner with all the extended family? They always say, please, don't talk about politics and religion. Why? Because everyone must just get along. Don't upset the apple cart. Relationships are too valuable to destroy them with arguments. But when God commanded Jeremiah to give Judah the warning of the coming Babylonian captivity... God wasn't concerned about Jeremiah upsetting the apple cart. The message was too important to care about the apple cart, or the apples for that matter. Yes, the people might be upset with what Jeremiah had to say. He had to warn them about their obsession with money. He had to warn them about their lack of proper worship because they were obsessed with money. But he had to speak. And that is what you will hear about today. And the response of the people. First of all the messenger threatened with death. Second the messenger called to God for vengeance upon those who threatened his message. And then third the messenger promised justice by God. And our goals are today is that you will know the reality of opposition to faithful teachers of God's word. And that you will continue to spread the word of God in spite of those threats. 
First, we'll consider the messenger threatened with death. Jeremiah learned directly from God, covenant God, Yahweh, that some Jews who pretended to worship God and were part of the covenant community of God were planning to kill him for speaking God's message. And the question is why? Why did these people, part of Jeremiah's own clan, want to kill him so badly? Well, the men of Anatoth were leading sacrilegious lives. What do you mean by that? Well, Anatoth was a place where Abiathar was from. If you remember in the life of David, there was a priest named Abiathar who betrayed David by trying to corrupt the line of succession that was put in place by God. And he had to be replaced as priest by David. The men of Anatoth never forgot that. They were bitter and they tried to set up their own priests and make their own sacrifices and ignore the temple or even before that the tabernacle that was in Shiloh and even then the temple that was in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah rejected this idea that the priests could make sacrifices in Anatoth away from the one temple or the one tabernacle before that. So the men of Anatoth wanted Jeremiah one way. They wanted him dead. And more than that, Jeremiah spoke in favor of King Josiah's reforms. When King Josiah came on the throne, he stopped the promoting of local sanctuaries where people would worship God in many different places. And he said the temple was a focus of Christian life, that's the representative of the coming Messiah, and sacrifices could only be offered there just as God commanded. You see, Jesus was pictured by the tabernacle in the temple. In John chapter 1, you read these words, and the word became flesh, and we use dwelt in our language, but it literally means tabernacled among us. Jesus was the center. There was only one center and everything went around him. So what these men of Anatoth were doing was wrong and Jeremiah spoke against that. Furthermore, Jeremiah spoke about the Babylonian captivity that was coming. He was pointing out to the people that their sin was so great that God was going to send Nebuchadnezzar as his whip to make them suffer. But the men of Anatoth believed that they were fine. They had high walls. They had money. They had the security and they had the uh, of physical security and the financial security. The silver blinded their eyes and they didn't see the danger that was coming. And when Jeremiah was speaking that way they thought we need him dead. And they prepared to kill him. Now these men had no conscience that they would want to kill a man. Verse 19 says, he was like a docile lamb. But these men wanted to destroy him in the prime of his life. The one who didn't even have a chance to be married yet. Jeremiah was only in his 20s. He didn't have a chance to have children. And that's where this phrase comes from, to, to kill a man, to destroy the tree with its fruit. It wasn't really speaking of his children, but they're saying they want to destroy the man and the fruit of his mouth, his words. They wanted to stop what he was saying and to do so completely. 
Now, Jeremiah saw himself like a Hebrew or an Arab. They would have a pet lamb that they will hug and, and keep near the house. So he wouldn't go out in the fields and run around and, and his muscles get all hard and tough. But it will hold that pet lamb, keep him in their house, play with him, and then eventually cook him. And he saw himself that way. He was going to die. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound just like Jesus? The one who was the Lamb of God. The one who was killed in the prime of his life. About 33 years old to be killed. They didn't want the message that Jesus gave. He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he healed people. He gave them food to eat. He talked about loving their parents and loving God. And yet they killed him. Remember Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. That's the same idea. They wanted to kill the one who was speaking the truth. As if they could stop the truth with the sword. Now these men not just wanted to destroy Jeremiah. But they wanted to stop him from speaking. They wanted to make sure that no one... Even more, they wanted to make sure no one would even remember his name. That's quite stunning. It's one thing to kill a man and you're done with him. But they want to make sure no one would remember his name. This is kind of what the Roman Catholics did during the time of the Reformation. They hated John Calvin so much that it would paint over his name or literally scrape off his name if it were put into some stone. Because they didn't want anyone to remember John Calvin's name. There were people who were named Calvin, John Calvin. And they would change their names because they want nothing to do with the man. As if they could destroy the truth that he spoke. You see the truth was coming from God. And no one can stop God's truth. They surely tried. They tried on Jeremiah. They tried on Jesus. They tried on John. Calvin what can we learn from this first point first of all there's one investigator who reported that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said that the Christians were the greatest threat to the country he was saying what people have been saying all along wicked men have always said that these men wouldn't say it against God they wouldn't say God is bad because they're afraid to attack God directly but they they will attack his children. His children are fair game. So don't be surprised. Don't be naive. There's a deep, seething hatred of Christianity. A Christianity that stands for the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. One that says judgment is coming unless you trust in Jesus Christ. Now there are a lot of Christians who like to say they're Christians and they want to... Let live and let live and not bother people and you can have your own way and but one that holds to the scriptures and holds to the scriptures firmly you are going to face opposition and people are going to despise you and we're starting to see some of that and one of the reasons I think this is so practical is because this is the direction we've seen coming in the last maybe 30 years You've seen where we've gone to tolerating homosexuality, to accepting it, to promoting it. 
and now we're being told we must celebrate it. That's what the Prime Minister said when he appeared on a drag show on television. We all need to celebrate this. But more personally, there are restaurants now that won't take reservations from Christian groups. You can't eat there. There are some doctors who wouldn't take Christian patients. Do you think there's any chance now in Canada an outspoken reformed man, I mean one who's willing to stand up, can be elected to office? Can Christians play professional sports now? Since most of it is on Sundays. If you don't play, you're never chosen to play. Doctors are now required to offer abortion as an alternative. When our kids were being... Uh, my wife was having kids 20 years, 20 some years ago we were already being asked by doctors do you want to keep it, do you want to keep it do you want to keep it, what do you think is going to happen when you stand up and say this is my sixth child, yeah of course I want to keep my child you will get more opposition think of what we do, we kill babies and we protect the murderers One of the big grocery stores in the U.S. recently was called up because it fired a bunch of workers because they wouldn't wear the rainbow flag supporting homosexuality. Now Christians are banned from libraries. If you want to promote transvestites, you are allowed to read to children in the library. You want to promote what gospel is, you're banned from going there. That's stopping the word of God, isn't it? It's stopping the Christian testimony. It's a way of getting back at God's people. Romans 8.36, the Apostle Paul was saying, this is not anything new. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Now the fact that we had a good run of about 150 years in history, where we had relative peace and we were able to worship in freedom should not be taken as the standard. That's not the standard. It's the other side. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's the reality. And it's going to get worse. Unless there's great revival within the church of Jesus Christ. But second, more than hating Christians, many hate God's word because it speaks clearly against their way of life. They're trying to wipe out Christianity from everywhere. Can't have Christian symbols in parliament or, or in courts or in schools. And you know why? It's because what Hebrews 4.12 says. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God convicts men of sin, and that's why they must get rid of it. Don't be surprised that they want to get rid of it. Expect that they will want to get rid of it. Make sure it doesn't disappear from you and your family. But don't be surprised. And in fact, that's where you're called to speak the truth in love. But don't apologize for speaking truth. If they have an issue with the truth, let them take it up with God. 
course, don't corner people and force anyone to listen who doesn't want to listen. And it's not always wise at your parties at your house. It's not always the time. You can't keep people by force to make them listen to you. So don't, don't cause trouble when you gather for your Christmas dinner and all of that. But if someone is willing to talk, you better be willing to speak, even if there are difficulties. And that's the third thing. You might lose a few friends when you speak the truth. Maybe they don't want to kill you, but they might stop talking to you. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to lose some relations? Maybe those people won't let you use their cottage anymore if you speak up. Are you willing to lose that? See, if you lose friends like that or relatives, they're not high-quality friends or relatives. So consider talking religion, religion when you meet your family. Love them enough to speak. Love them enough to maybe make them feel uncomfortable so that they can get their lives right with God. That's what true love does. If you love yourself, you will protect yourself. That's what self-love is. That's why self-love is such an evil thing, because it protects yourself. It's like folding of the arms. You want to hug yourself. But love people enough to speak the truth. Do it kindly. But you are required to speak the truth. Look at what that has gotten into for not speaking the truth, for getting along. And I often speak of politeness as Canadian idolatry. We so badly want to be polite that we will sacrifice other things, even speaking the truth. Remember this. The truth you announce will continue longer than any of the people who oppose you. Your truth, because it is God's truth, has staying power. Don't stop speaking the truth. We come to our second point. The messenger called to God for vengeance. He's threatened with death, but he then, then calls on God he doesn't say, I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to gather a posse and go after the men of Anatoth. He called on God for vengeance or justice. And this is what all the other prophets did before. They asked God to expose and destroy God's enemies. Why? Because the men of Anatoth were fighting against God's word and against God's kingdom. Remember when we pray, your kingdom come, what do we pray for according to our catechism? We're praying for God to destroy our enemies, those who hate us and want to hinder us. And I know this can be a little bit uncomfortable because we think of living and let live, getting along. But for God's kingdom to come, the enemy must be destroyed. So Jeremiah based his call for God's vengeance on God's enemies because of the very nature of God. He's saying, God, you are just, and therefore you cannot tolerate someone who's trying to stifle truth and to kill an innocent man who's doing the work he was called to do. And in fact, God's justice is the ground for praise. He was showing zeal for the glory of the Lord. And there's no contradiction in Jeremiah saying on one hand, he's a docile lamb, and yet calling him God's justice. You see, as a private man, he knew his weaknesses. He knew his heart. He knew his sins. 
And that's why he saw himself in that helpless light. But as a soldier for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he had to cry out for justice. He had to cry out for justice so Christ's cause would be advanced. And that the name of Christ will ultimately be honored. And that's what mission work is. It's a conquering of the hearts of people. So they will come and worship God. Remember how the Lamb of God took a whip and went into the temple? What was his response? Did he go in the temple and say, why can't we all just get along? No, he beat those thieves and said, you've corrupted my house. My house should be a prayer, a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it into a den of thieves. It's kind of interesting too. So then he went to the cross soon after that. Because of his love for people. You see his justice. But you also see his love. And Jeremiah wanted God to intervene directly. Or to use a state. To bring justice upon these wicked men. Who were threatening to kill him. So he prayed for God's justice. That's what Psalm 54 was speaking of. What can we learn from this second point. About Jeremiah's call for justice. First of all. Regardless of what. Uh, Others falsely think of you and accuse you of. God is always fair. Don't worry. God will keep you. God will clear your name. If not in this, this life. Surely he will clear, your, clear you in the life that matters. When you stand before him on judgment day. So don't be afraid. Secondly to pray that God will bring justice. On those who threaten, abuse and kill his people. It is ignoring God's honor if you do. If you don't pray for these things. Psalm 54 verse 7 that we just sang. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. He didn't seek revenge. He sought justice upon his enemies. Psalm 118 verse 7 that we also sang. The Lord is for me against those who uh, help is for me among those who help me. Therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. The desire for justice upon those who desire to stop the kingdom of Jesus Christ from spreading. Now make sure when you're praying these prayers. And these are called imprecatory psalms. Or psalms of God's justice. That you're praying for judgment upon those who threaten the church of Jesus Christ. And those who are seeking to stop the word of God from spreading. If you made an enemy because of your sin and your weakness. Don't you dare pray that God will judge them. Make that right with them. This is not about your personal enemies. About against those who oppose the church of Jesus Christ. From spreading. Let me make a comment about this. Because the imprecatory psalms make up quite a few of the psalms. And many people try to avoid singing them. As if they were sort of anathema. And that's for Old Testament times. No God give us the imprecatory psalms. That's judgment psalms. Or psalms of condemnation upon the wicked. And he says you are to sing them. You are to memorize them. More you are to teach them to your children. So they are raised with an awareness that God is love. But God is also a God of justice. 
And you must pray these psalms. You look at Psalm 2. The Lord is saying what he will do. How he will crush those who reject the Son. And you must pray for God's justice to come. You notice these people were part of God's covenant people. The men of Anatoth. And he's praying for God's justice to come upon them. Because they were so wicked. So don't be afraid that God, to pray that God will bring justice upon evil men who pretend to be pastors. Upon policemen who are corrupt. Upon judges who have no regard for God's truth. Upon government officials who make laws of contempt. Or nations that persecute God's people in such brutal ways as we see today. That's God's call to you. And that's not a suggestion. It's a command. We have to relive in us or revive in us. That sense of God's justice on those who are wicked. You know why? That's the only way they'll turn their eyes upon Jesus. If you let them live their way and say, You have your way and I have mine, their souls will be lost. We know that's one of the reasons there is capital punishment. It's not just simply to execute justice upon a man, it's when he knows he's going to meet, meet his maker, he feels the pressure of getting his life right with God. So it's not a giddiness, oh yeah, I'm glad God destroyed them. It's that God's justice will be raised up and men will praise him. And second, that they will be called to repent. Well, look at what God says and you will see the beauty of this now. In the third point, the messenger promised justice by God. In verse 21, the Lord answered Jeremiah positively by indicating his intention to clear Jeremiah's good name. God knew the men of Anathoth had told Jeremiah to stop prophesying in God's name or they would kill him. But we'll back up for a minute as I've often done in looking at the book of Jeremiah which describes the judgment that was coming upon the southern one and a half tribes that remain by appealing back to what happened when the ten and a half tribes were taken captive earlier, 125, 150 years before this time. When the Assyrians came and took them. In the book of Isaiah chapter 30 verse 10. Listen to what the people were saying. Before the northern ten and a half tribes. Were taken captivity. It says this verse 10. Who say to the seers. Do not see. That means don't look. Don't look for instruction for us. And to the prophets. Do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Tell us what we want to hear. Tickle our ears. And we'll be content. You know if you have a cat in your house. They'll love you to go behind their ears. And you just tickle them. And they will just sit there. Don't do anything but receive that. And enjoy it. And that's often what people wanted to hear then. And that's what people want to hear now. But notice the change that you find. In verse 21, if you have your Bibles open, it says, Therefore thus says the Lord, that's covenant God speaking to Jeremiah. And then in verse 22, thus said the Lord of hosts, because now he's speaking to the men of Anatoth. The difference is significant. 
One is his covenant God. He cares for his people. But Lord of hosts means Lord of armies or Lord of justice. And he would bring justice now upon the men of Anatoth. And God would not just destroy the men of Anatoth. Look at the destruction that's coming upon them. But would destroy their future. Future? Yes. Their young men. The ones who would try to be priests would be killed. Being a priest would not protect them. Real priests won't be there to petition for them. Because their children would be destroyed. And then their children would die. Some would be destroyed by famine. Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, said this in Lamentations 4.9. He says, those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. Those who pine away stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. I don't know how many of you have seen the struggle of people who were starving. It's a brutal thing. People prayed that they would die because of the pain of starvation and of not even having water to drink. And God says that's what's coming upon these people because they tried to stop his word and to kill his prophets. That's how God, seriously, God takes this. Religion is not something we do to calm our minds on Sunday. This is life and death. This is the word of God. You see, they wanted to go after Jeremiah and kill the, the man and his message. And the Lord is saying, I'll go down to your roots. To the very foundation, I will go and destroy. The root and the branches will be destroyed for total destruction. What can we learn here? First of all, God is not unaware of all of these unfair things that are happening to Christians. And we are only having some of it here. A lot of other countries where it's significantly worse. I've met fellows in India where they could not, they were not allowed to rent facilities to Christians. Hindus were warned not to rent anything to Christians, even if they paid their rent in advance, because they're Christians. In India, you go to report to the police that someone attacked you, a Hindu attacked you, and they will charge you for the crime. And it's happened thousands and thousands of times, especially in the eastern part of, of India. God is not aware, unaware, though, of what we are facing here. Think of what taxation has done to us. We've gotten sort of accustomed to that, but it's over-taxation. So you have less money to be able to help others with. Think of what the state is doing now. See the state undermining the family by incentivizing singleness. You get more tax break if you're single than if you're married. So what does that tell people? Live together. You know, most Canadian children are now born out of wedlock. That's one of the reasons the government loves this, because it fits in with its goal of undermining God's Christianity. Look at what the government is saying now. You look at some government forms and try to see which gender you are. Confusing people. This undermines the family. You notice how churches have also bent to this and they like these new translations of the Bible that now speak in neutral terms. Listen to most versions of Joy to the World. Let all their song is praise proclaim. 
They don't say men anymore. They forget that God is, well, they ignore the fact that God put that because of a covenant headship idea that was important. But now there's no gender anymore. So we've lost that. That's not an insignificant thing. Because the government ignores true marriage. And any, anything can be marriage now. There's a proposal to have group marriages. Three people marrying four people. That's the next thing that's going to happen. It's going to be legalized, I'm sure. The government's trying to claim children as their property. And they will tell you what you can... Places they're trying to tell you what you can feed your children. And what you can teach your children. The government's saying it's okay to kill innocent children. Keep murderers alive. And then there are churches that are harmful as well. They're turning a blind eye to sin. They refuse to exercise Christian discipline. That's hiding the word of God. That's refusing to use the word of God. Think about the damage that socialism brings. You know, right now, Venezuela used to be the most prosperous Latin American country with highest GDP. Now it's the lowest. The average Venezuelan, the average salary in Venezuela now can buy a hamburger and a Coca-Cola on a month's salary. That's the government numbers. They live on welfare, people sending money from overseas. And you know the problem is? Most young people in Canada believe socialism is the answer. That's because we've lost the word of God. We want somebody else to take care of us. We forget personal responsibility. And then, of course, there's the oppression of capitalism, where we say it's legal, therefore we can squeeze people and make them work for nothing. The opposite side is true as well. But God sees the abuse and condemnation. He sees the problems we are facing. And he will act. And he must act. He hates injustice. You know, Psalm 5, God hates workers of iniquity. That's why God said he loved Jacob and hated Esau. Esau was a wicked man. That's the reality. But the second application is this. When you see some children suffering, sometimes you have to look at where the parents are. Because sometimes the problem is rooted there. Now, not always. So you have to be very careful. Sometimes children are willful and live their own lives. But we have to look at our generation and see how we have lived we have ignored the word of God and we continue to live our lives because we want the financial and uh, physical security and we focused on that or even the personal pleasures and we've ignored the word of God. It's no wonder that judgment will come upon our children. So maybe we need to look at ourselves. And young people, you look at what the, the heirs of this generation so the next one will be godlier. Read Judges 2. It didn't take long for the children of Israel to go into the land of Canaan and then they turned their eyes away from God. And the Bible says, And there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. The very next generation. Because comforts took over. And yet, brothers and sisters, you cannot end this third point without reminding you there was someone who would be willing to die for you. Because that's what you deserved. You deserve to be killed because you rejected the truth of God's word. And you lived your life for yourself. But one who went to the cross. 
freely. First Peter 2.23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He did take our place, for that's what we deserve. Well, let's put it all together and conclude. Jeremiah's own clan threatened him with death because he spoke God's truth and they wanted that truth shut down. Then Jeremiah threatened their position and prophets by not saying what they wanted to hear. So Jeremiah called for God's justice on these wicked people, the ones who posed an existential threat to God's message and to him personally. And because his request was good, God answered his prayers and promised to bring justice on these wicked men. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, there are similar wicked men in the state and in the church today who will try to stop you from speaking God's truth. That living truth, but you must not stop. Now it's true they don't, in Canada right now, we don't have a gun put to our heads. But they will use other ways of trying to stop you. And one of the biggest ways is to try to shame you. You're old fashioned. You're not modern. You're not scientific. We know better now. The thing is though, brothers and sisters, if you stop, the church will die. People won't know what to believe about Jesus. They won't know how to live. And the lost will be lost forever. They will never be found. And Jesus will not be glorified. And his death will be in vain. And then God will be angry with you. On the other hand, if you boldly speak God's truth, people will know what to believe about Jesus. And by the way, you speak with more than your words. You speak by your life. You speak by the choices you make that people can see what are the priorities in your life. If you do that, men will live. The lost will be saved and Jesus will be glorified and God will be pleased with you. And if you're not a Christian, learn the truth about who God is. He is holy and just. Learn the truth about who you are. You're sinful under the condemnation of sin and death and hell. And learn what you need to do to make peace with God. You receive what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. Now it's true, these facts might make you angry. You don't want to be called a sinner heading to hell. But the truth is essential. Accepting the truth is what gives you life. Rejecting it sends you to hell.